Good morning. It's good to have you with us. And those of you who are visiting, I hope that you can join us in the hour that follows as we uh, spend some time in the visitor's class, usually on the first Sunday of the month when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. The, uh, the amount of time left for Sunday school becomes somewhat shortened, but we will look uh, forward to meeting with you and perhaps uh, helping you better understand who we are and what it is that we believe and teach. Let me ask you, if you would, to uh, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. And as we continue to consider together the unfolding of God's redemptive purposes, the unfolding of his covenant of redemption, as it is revealed to us in Scripture, We're going to look this morning at chapter 24 and then chapters 32 through 34. And hopefully we will be able to gain and uh, gain in our understanding and deepened in our appreciation for this covenant relationship that is established by God with us, by which God says, God says, God says to us, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And it is upon this basis that we will, that I will establish with you this relationship. Let me read for you these verses. Exodus 24, verse 3. Moses came and he told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. Those are the things revealed in chapters 20 through 23. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel, And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, chapters 21 through 23. He took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood, and he threw it on the people. And he said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Behold, the blood of of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that as we give attention now to this portion of your holy word, that you would open our minds and our hearts, Lord, that as we deal with um, these these events here in Exodus 24 and 32 through 34, 
we freely admit to you, O oh Father, that this, some of these things just seem so, so strange. They, uh, it, we, we sometimes find it hard, difficult to, to follow the, uh, the whys and the wherefores of the, of the things that we are told. But the bottom line becomes absolutely clear. We may struggle with the details, but the bottom line is sure and it is certain. And it is, it is this depiction uh, here in the book of Exodus, this, this depiction of, of who you are, that you are just and you are gracious, that you are holy, and you are merciful. That your standards are absolute. And that you are loving. Father, show us these great mysteries. Show us how they weave together. Prepare us to come to this, your table. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our sweet Patty is with the Lord. Her love for Him, her love for her immediate and covenant families, her love for others, all that was evident, absolutely evident to anyone who knew her. Now, Patty would insist upon the fact that I tell you that she was a sinner. I know some of you if it were not for your theological learning, might find that hard to believe. But she was. She was a sinner. She was a sinner who by God's grace was made a saint and who now by God's grace abides with the saints in his presence. She was a sinner who became a saint and of his grace, this grace that turned her from sinner to saint of his grace. She often testified by the singing of Psalm 27. I was thinking of singing these words for you, but I'll just read them. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? It is this one of whom Patty sang, this one of whom we so often heard her sing, that is revealed to us here in Exodus 24 and in chapters 32 through 34. So look with me. I want to try and depict for you in broad strokes because obviously we can't look at all the details here and we're trying to move through a great a, a great a, a whole a lot of scripture here so that so that you can see the unfolding of God's covenant we're looking if you will at at at, at the individual trees that make up the forest and not so much the leaves of those trees and what i hope to show you here in just a few moments, for just a few moments, is that in these chapters, we have the covenant of redemption that God first put into place in Genesis 3, 
We have that covenant of redemption now confirmed with the children of Israel. We have that covenant then broken by the children of Israel. We have that covenant stunningly renewed by the Lord. And we should be stunned once we understand how Israel has broken that covenant. And then we have the anticipation of that covenant being perfectly fulfilled one day, on that day when the final and perfect sacrifice would be offered up. And that's what we come here to celebrate. And what does this have to do with you? This has everything to do with you. This is the one by whom and for whom you were made. And in these chapters, he in effect says to you, understand who I am. Understand who you are. Because only then will you understand this great salvation that is yours through Christ Jesus. Look here in Exodus chapter uh, 24 and verse 3. Now, last week I continually referred to 1 Samuel instead of 2 Samuel, and only my grandson Dagon was willing to speak up and say, Grandpa is wrong. Who was it? Dagon, right? Yes. Yes, he was quick to tell me at the dining room table, you were wrong, Grandpa. Now, look, we're all friends here. When you hear me repeatedly, repeatedly referring to 1 Samuel, and you know full well, I mean, Dagon knew, surely some of the rest of you knew that it was supposed to be 2 Samuel, would you mind just raising your hand and telling me? I don't get embarrassed. I want to know what the right, I, want, I don't want to lead you astray, all right? And um, uh, so hang with me here, especially this morning as I try to uh, deal with so much. Um, here in, 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 in Exodus chapter 24, the, the Lord, who has, who has just graciously delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, he, He's brought them through the Red Sea, He's supplied them with water and bread, and He has empowered them to, to defeat the Amalekites in battle. That God has... has has met with Moses atop Mount Sinai. He has, he has given to Moses in chapters 20 through 24, 23, he has given to him his words and his rules, this, this book of the covenant. And now Moses has returned to the people and he, he tells them these words and rules. And they respond not once, but twice. They, they hear the words and rules and they respond. They hear the book of the covenant and they respond. And they respond With this, be patient with me. They respond with this ignorant boast. They do not properly understand who they are. And they have only just begun to understand who the Lord is. And therefore, they respond with words that sound good. Sort of like 
people in our day saying, I love Jesus. And they don't have a clue what should be the implications of that declaration. I love Jesus, but I don't want him messing with my life. Well, those two things don't go together. But that's exactly what's going to happen here. The children of Israel, they, they offer up this, these words of empty promise. All, that the, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Well, look at verse 4. In verse 4, Moses builds an altar, and upon this altar various sacrifices, uh, various burnt offerings and peace offerings are offered up to the Lord. And here, here we begin to catch a glimpse of, of, of the centrality of the concept of shed blood in the Old Testament Scriptures, which carries over completely into the New Testament Scriptures. And these Old Testament Scriptures, you want to see the commentary of these Old Testament Scriptures, you go home this afternoon and read the book of Hebrews. It'll give you the commentary on these Old Testament Scriptures. Moses collects in basins the blood, and he takes that blood, and half of it he, he throws against the altar, and the other half he uses to throw, to, to sprinkle upon the people. And as they are being sprinkled with blood, I mean, just imagine, Moses says to them, Behold the blood of the covenant. Now listen to these words. Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. Not, behold, you have now received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have now taken Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, those words are proper. Those words are biblical. But we must never lose sight of the fact that the only reason we come to the place of loving Him is because of this, <laughs> this profound, stunning idea. The only reason you love the Lord is because He first chose to love you. He loved you before you chose to love Him. And here, it is the Lord who, Lord, who makes covenant with these people. So, so why all of this blood? Why all of this blood? The only reason we ask that question is because like the Israelites, we don't really understand who we are and we don't really understand who He is. Because if we understood who we, who we are and if we really understood who He is, that question would be answered. Why all this blood? Because these people, these people are, are children of Adam. They're born sinners. Just as we are children of Adam and born sinners. We are born, they were born, we are born with an inclination which evidences itself in a thousand different ways in our lives. We are born with an inclination to ignore our Creator, to think 
of ourselves as being our own God, and therefore to choose to ignore what he has said and to live by our own rules. And the God-appointed penalty for all of that which we call sin, the God-appointed penalty is death. The shedding of blood speaks of death. And this is what is so, just so out of step with our culture. This is, this is just absolutely what people do not want to hear, what they, they do not want to be told. And that is that God is just. I don't mean He's kind of just. I mean He is absolutely just. And His justice demands that the penalty for sin be paid. And it is only if we understand, it is only when we understand who we are and understand that we are now looking into the face of a God who is absolutely just and who demands, whose justice demands that the penalty of our transgressions, of our, of our rebellion, of our, of, our, of our ignoring the Creator, the one for whom and by whom we were made, it is only then that when we are told that God is gracious, that God will extend to us his unmerited favor, favor that we have not earned, that we have not merited. It is only then that the grace of God becomes truly amazing. Why the shedding of blood? Because whose blood is shed? Who are the sinners here? The Israelites. Who is the judge here? It is God. That judge is gracious. Whose blood is shed? Not the shed of the not the blood of the people. It's the blood of a substitute. That's the grace. God's justice is served and his grace is seen because it is the blood of a substitute that pays the penalty for our sins. In verses 15 through 17, Moses returns to Mount Sinai. As he returns, the people look in that direction. And as he climbs the hill, the, the mountain, they, they see that the top of the mountain is enveloped by a, a cloud of devouring, uh, devouring fire. And, and, and Moses will be there for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Lord will instruct him concerning the building of a tabernacle and its furnishings and the making of priestly garments and the ordination of priests. And if you hear all of that and go, just stick around. 
Because all of that, that making of the tabernacle and its furnishings, the the making of those priestly garments, the, the ordination of priests, all of that has to do with sinner God, the shedding of blood. Sinner, justice, grace, the shedding of the blood of a substitute. Now, the covenant is broken. Turn to Exodus 32. While Moses is yet atop Mount Sinai, and he's been gone nearly seven weeks, the people grow restless. They don't know what's happened to him. So what do they do? They become their own gods. They know what what took place in chapter 24. They heard God's words. They heard God's commandments. They heard God's rules. They heard read to them the book of the covenant. Now Moses has been gone for seven weeks. Seven weeks he's gone. I mean, his brother Aaron is still with them, but they don't know where Moses is. And so what do they do? They take matters into their own hands. Which is a polite way of saying they become their own gods. They make up their own rules. They turn to Aaron, I I guess a group of representatives, they turn to Aaron and they demand that he make for them gods. And notice, that he make for them gods, plural. Gods. Little g, not God, singular, with a capital G. Gods who will go before them and suddenly, and stunningly, Aaron does as they ask. Using their gold earrings, he, he fashions for them a golden calf. In verse 6, they offer sacrifices to this idol. And you want to go, okay, okay, let's just, you know, just be, get, you know, give these people a little slack. Just stick with me. They offer up sacrifices. Then we're told that they sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Sounds innocent enough, doesn't it? They rose up to play. And forgive me if this is offensive to anyone, but you need to know that rose up to play euphemistically speaks of illicit sexual activities which were just a common part of the worship of foreign gods on the part of foreign peoples. There is there is in the camp of Israel an orgy. That is exactly what is being described here. How many times do I stand before you and tell you there's nothing new under the sun? There's nothing new under the sun. We didn't invite, we didn't invent sexual sin. Here, before an idol, they call their gods, gods that will lead them into Israel. They involve, they they become caught up in all kinds of 
illicit sexual activity. In verse 7, on top of Mount Sinai, the Lord disturbingly tells Moses, look at this language. Look at the language. Look at it carefully. Verse 7 of chapter 32, the Lord tells Moses, your people, not my people, your people whom you, not I, you, who you brought up out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And therefore, God says to Moses in verse 10, I'm going to consume them in my wrath. And after I have consumed them in my wrath, I'm going to make from you a great nation. Moses is just stunned. He pleads with God in verses 11 through 13, don't do this, O Lord. Don't give the Egyptians an excuse to call you evil. Don't forget, O Lord, your covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God hears Moses' prayer. And in verse 14, in the simplest of language, we're told, and the Lord relented from bringing disaster upon Israel. Wow. Let me tell you what I think is going on here. I think God is testing Moses. You read through this passage and see what you think. I think God is testing Moses. Moses is passed with flying colors. Moses is not interested in personal glory. By Moses' prayer, by his response, God said, I'm going to wipe them out and I'll make from you a great nation. And Moses' response fully indicates he's not interested in any personal glory. His passion is for the good name of the Lord and for the welfare of his people. And that's how he prays, and that's how he pleads. And God hears his prayer and relents from bringing disaster upon Israel. In verse 15, Moses enters the camp. He sees what's going on. He throws to the ground the two tablets upon which are written the Lord's words and rules. They... they, They shatter as they hit the ground, just as the people have shattered the Lord's words and rules. Moses grinds the golden calf to dust, scatters the dust on the water, forces the people to drink. And then Moses stands before the people and he says to them, Who is on the Lord's side? And the men of the tribe of Levi rally to Moses, and Moses sends them with swords into the camp, and there in the camp, they execute God's justice. I mean, we, we, you read this, and you can be absolutely, you know, you can just throw up your hands, and you can go, what kind of a God is this? What is happening here is the execution of God's justice. They, the Levites with swords enter the camp, and they put to death 3,000 of the men of Israel. And having done so, they are rewarded by the Lord by being ordained for future service to him. They will be the ones who will take care of the tabernacle, of the temple. It is from the Levites that the priests will come. 
the Levites of the house of Aaron. And then Moses, the next day, he stands before these people. Where is that? Verse 30, he stands before these people. And listen to Moses' heart. He stands before these people and he says to them, you have sinned greatly. I, I can't look past that, but I'm going to try to find a way to atone for your sins. And so what does Moses do? He returns to the Lord. And what does he tell the Lord? Allow me to die in their stead. Allow me, if you will, to be the substitute who pays, who suffers the penalty for their sins. But instead, Moses is told, no, I won't allow that. And God, God speaks of the uh, the judgment that he will bring against the people and um, part of that judgment being that he will no longer lead them. Moses, you have to go and tell the people that I will no longer lead you. Instead, I'm going to send an angel to lead you, but it won't be me. And Moses goes and he tells the people, God is no longer going to lead you. You are going to be led instead by an angel. And the people, People just like you and me, these fickle people, these people who have deliberately turned their back upon God and done their own thing, they hear God is not going to lead us anymore and they mourn. And not only do they mourn, they strip from themselves all of their gold jewelry same sort of gold jewelry from which the golden calf had been fashioned. And Moses, in chapter 33, he goes and he pleads with the Lord. He pleads with the Lord to please, O oh God, lead us. Lead us. He returns in chapter 34 to Mount Sinai, where he will remain another 40 days and nights. And look at verses 6 and 7 of chapter 34. Look at verses 6 and 7. Moses is given a glimpse of God's glory and and a cloud that descends upon the mountain. And then the Lord says to Moses, in effect, in verses 6 and 7, let me tell you who I am. Are you listening? Are you listening? This is your Creator speaking. This is the one by whom and for whom you were made. He says to Moses, He says to you, I am the Lord, the sovereign ruler over all of creation. I am Yahweh. I am merciful. I am gracious. I am slow to anger. I am abounding in steadfast love. I am just. And, you see it in verse 7? And therefore, 
will by no means clear the guilty. They're guilty. We're guilty. And the Lord has said to us, this is who I am. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, just. And I will therefore, and therefore I will by no means clear the guilty. But no sooner does he say that than look at verses, look at verse 10 and following. For having said that in verse 10 and following, the people haven't broken the covenant. God now renews covenant with them. God promises in verse 10 and following that he will renew his covenant with the people and that he will promise to bless them. He will promise to take them into the promised land if they will observe His commandments. I mean, how do you feel about that? I will renew my covenant with you. I will lead you. I will take you into the promised land. I will bless you like no other people have ever been blessed if you will keep my commandments. But you know and I know And I don't know whether they knew, but they would soon learn. They won't do that. They will not keep His commandments. There are people just like us. They're going to sin. So what's to be done? The answer is found in chapters 35 through 40. And it is in chapter 35 and 40 that we have anticipation of this table. What's in chapters 35 through 40? In chapters 35 through 40, Moses comes to the people and says, I need you to contribute whatever is needed to build the tabernacle, to build its furnishings, to make these priestly robes. I need you to contribute whatever is needed to do all of those things. And the people respond, And the tabernacle and its furnishings are made. And the priestly garments are sewn. So what? It is in that tabernacle, atop the Ark of the Covenant, that God will reign. And it is in that tabernacle that the priest, day after day, will offer up substitutionary sacrifices that will atone for the people. Now, that's rather strange. The, the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament. It's the blood of bulls and goats, the book of Hebrews say. What does the, what does the book of Hebrews say about the blood of bulls and goats? It says the blood of bulls and goats cannot, cannot atone for sin. If they can't atone for sin. The why all this blood? Because those sacrifices are efficacious only because they anticipate 
this sacrifice. Those sacrifices anticipate the day when the final and perfect sacrifice for sin will be offered up. And that final and perfect sacrifice will be offered up by Christ. He who had no sin will freely choose to become sin for us so that we might be judged righteous before God. That's the gospel. That's the wonder of what's going on here. You eat this bread. You drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death. Why should we, why should we proclaim? Why don't we proclaim His resurrection? Why do we proclaim the Lord's death? Because by His broken body, by His shed blood, by grace through faith in Him as our Savior, Lord, and King, as our substitutionary sacrifice, you're forgiven. You have a sense of who you are. You look in the mirror sometimes and you just kind of, this is what I do. You kind of look in the mirror and go, wow. Goodness. The Lord knows more about you than you know about yourself. And that's not good news. But the good news is that knowing you better than you know yourself, for you he dies. Pays the penalty for your sins. By his shed blood, your guilt is washed away. This is what Patty believed. This was her hope. This was her confidence. This is what oriented her life. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That God so loved the world that for you, the people of this world, He made atonement. He paid the price the holy and just God mercifully and graciously delivers and rescues you. And now you stand on solid ground. And now by His grace, you are able to walk the path that He illuminates before you. You are able to live like a saint. And when you stumble, when you fall, you confess, He forgives, and you begin anew. It's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, be with us now as we celebrate this holy meal. 
We pray this in Christ's name.